0: How are we doing this morning? Are you guys alive? Are you awake? Are you ready? Okay, I'm starting to believe you a little more now. Well, I'm excited about this morning. Um, It's a great opportunity, a great uh, privilege to be with you this morning. I'm excited about what God's going to do. I'm anticipating God to do some great things. Uh, but before I start, I figured maybe some of you are wondering who in the world is this guy, because of the nature of the church, how big it is, three services. You don't always get to see me. Usually, I'm more in the third service than the first. So I thought maybe I would share a little bit about who I am and where I'm from. That way, as we as we embark on this journey together, you don't have to wonder. Does that sound good? Okay. I know some of you are like, we don't care. Just get on with it. <laughs> but we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna share a little bit with you. My name is Jared. I, uh, I get to oversee the youth and young adults here at Bethlehem. It's my privilege. I get to work with young people, 7th through 12th graders, and also, uh, also with 18 to 30 year olds, and a whole bunch of adults that help me out, pouring into the lives of youth. And it's, it's, it's such a privilege. And uh, I'm married to a beautiful woman named Jennifer, who is not with me today. I love her to death, but she's on the women's retreat, uh, enjoying herself there. And I'm currently waiting upon the arrival of my son, Soon to be here in a few months. I've been talking to him a lot, but I'm looking forward to not have to talk to him through a belly and actually see him face to face. So he should be here at the end of June-ish. So looking forward to that. I can't wait to, uh, to see him face to face. My wife and I have been married for seven years. I know you're asking, how is that possible? Well, I got married at 20 years old. I met my wife in Bible college, and uh, I'll be 27 in a month. So uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing journey. I grew up in Vermont my wife is from New Jersey, we went to school in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri I don't know how that happens, but nice to see a fellow Springfield person here um, and uh, we met there, we got married, I was 20 years old, I was really young, I didn't know what I was doing you probably don't want me to talk to your kids about uh, waiting to get married because I was not a good example but, uh, but got married at 20 and, and I remember I was thinking about this today, I remember we were getting ready to go into ministry and getting ready to graduate Bible college, my wife and I, we'd get in arguments because we, we knew we were called the East Coast, but we didn't really know where. And she's from New Jersey, I'm from Vermont. So, so I used to say, I'm not going, I will not go to New Jersey or New York. And she's like, why? That's not fair. Why don't you go to Jersey? I said, Jersey is like the armpit of America. I said, no one wants to stay there. It's hot. It's, yeah, it's, it has a purpose, I guess. But come on, who wants to live in Jersey? You know, and we used to fight back and forth, and she's like, well, there's a lot of famous people from Jersey. And I said, yeah, because everyone wants to get out of there. They'll do whatever they can to be famous, you know. They've got to get out of Jersey. So, so, but I do love Jersey. I go there all the time. But I said, I'm not going to Jersey. I said, I'm not going to New York. And, and here's why I didn't want to go to New York, because how many of you guys are native New Yorkers? Okay, almost all of you. Here's something you'll, you'll understand about people who are not from New York. The perception that I had of New York is that, like, everybody gets mugged all the time. Like, it's true, if you're not from New York, that's the way you think about New York. It's like, you think that it's common for people to just come home, and like, honey, I got stabbed again. Oh, what a hard day at the office, you know? And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to New York. It was probably out of fear, but I was like, I can't go there. And, and sure enough, funny, funny as it is, God calls us to New York. And we've been in Long Island about six years. We've been at this church just over a year. And, uh, and it's been a cool time. I remember when we first moved to Long Island, again, um, you know, I had all these fears, I didn't know what to expect, and we're moving into Long Beach, and my dad was with me, my dad is just as naive about the culture of New York as I am, and and we're moving in, I remember the first night we're here, we're sitting, moving in, and, and we're like two skittish dogs, you know, you ever been around like a real scared dog, and you just move, and that thing like goes crazy, that was us, and it's like 8.30, it's getting dark, so we figure, oh, it's getting dark in New York, we better get inside, <laughs> and, and so we're moving our stuff, and, and sure enough, like, And this is in Long Beach, come on. Long Beach, I've learned, is a pretty safe place, right? But we didn't know, so we're moving our stuff inside, and and a couple apartment buildings down, this drunk guy comes out, and he starts yelling to himself. And I remember my dad just turns to me, and he has this fear in his eyes. He's like, son, what did you get yourself into? And, And I'm like... I look back on that now and I think it's funny because it's like, what is there, there isn't drunk people in Vermont, you know, but in our minds, we might as well have been in the toughest neighborhood in in Harlem, you know, or or, or moving to Africa or or to the Amazon jungle or something crazy because we didn't know what to expect and God has a sense of humor and here we are now uh, for about six years and, and we love it and so it's a privilege to be with you today, that's a little bit of my life, real quick, so now you know me, let's get to the word of God, Amen. Alright, well, if you turn to your Bibles, open up to uh, to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. You can just hold that there. This morning, we're going to be continuing in this series called Strengthening Your Grip. And we've been, uh, Pastor Steve's been doing this series, and today we're talking about strengthening your grip on trust, and, and in particular, trusting God. And I'm excited about this series, and, and and it's a cool day today because I get the privilege of Preaching this morning, Pastor Josh is preaching in the in the ten thirty service, and then Pastor Diana is in the twelve thirty, which I think is pretty cool. So we had the opportunity to meet and to talk about this topic, and pray over it, and discuss it, and say, man, what do we want to do? What do we feel like God's putting on our hearts? And and what we came up with is as we were thinking about this issue of strengthening our grip on trust, we talked it over, and we said, you know what? We think that we have to start with one very important thing. We got to figure out what does God expect from us in this area of trust. And I've always felt this, that if you're not following God the way He desires, you're not really following Him. Amen? Does that make sense? If you don't follow Christ the way He wants you to follow Him, you're not really following Him, right? And so we got to start, and the, the, the very place that we have to start is, God, what do you expect from us in this area of trust? Because He does have an expectation of us. And if we're followers of Christ, we should want to meet His expectation. So we said, alright, we're going to start there. And we said, the next thing we want to look at is, if, if we know Christ's expectations, where are we at as a church? Where am I at in my life in relationship to His expectation? Am I meeting that expectation or not? So, so we said, we, we need to look at that. And then the third area where we said, okay, if we're not meeting His expectation, what do we need to do in order to meet that expectation? So today we're going kind to of look at those three areas. We're going to say, what does God expect from us? Where are we at? And how do we meet His expectation? And we're going to look this morning at the story of a man you probably know and have heard about before. It's a man named Abraham. So would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God as we just, as we just read in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I pray today that that you would speak in spite of my weakness. God, I pray that you would move in a powerful way. Your word would shine through. God, it's not about us today. It's all about you. And I pray that we would be moved by you to trust you with everything that we have. In your name we pray, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God, you can have a seat. So we're starting in the story of Abraham, and and if you didn't know this, Abraham, before he's Abraham, he was actually known as Abram. God later changed his name, and we'll get to that. But it all starts with a man named Abram. And Abram grew up in a place and a time where there wasn't many people around that believed and had faith in God. He was one of the few. If you look at the history of man before him, um, God created Adam and Eve. Sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and so uh, uh, sin spread throughout the world until the point where God got fed up and He said, okay, I'm going to wipe out the whole earth with a flood except for one family. That one family survived and spread, and, and then sin managed to make its way back into the earth and spread, and now all the way till we find Abram, and Abram lives in a land where there's not many people, if any, that believe and have faith or desire to know God. And God looks down on this man, Abram, who is one of the few, one of the few men who believes in God, one of the few who has faith in God, and he calls out to him, he says, Abram, I want you to pick up everything you have, all your possessions, your family, everything that you know, and I want you to leave and go to a foreign land unknown, and if you do that, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to do great things through you. And Abram all of a sudden looks, and and before him is is a command of God, a calling of God to do something radical. Something extreme, something crazy. And this time, it wasn't like they had planes. People didn't travel this amount regularly. And it certainly wasn't normal to pick up everything you knew and had and carry and go on to another place. So God confronts Abram with something extreme, something radical. And before we continue tonight, I think it's important, this morning, uh, I'm a youth pastor, I'm used to preaching at night. But before we continue this morning, we've got to get something clear. And that, the first thing is this. There's a big difference between faith in God and trust in God. There's a big difference between faith in God and trust in God. Now, don't get me wrong, they are, they are incredibly intertwined and connected. But I think sometimes we fail to do great things for God because we get those confused. And we say, well, I have faith in God, but we don't really have trust in God, so we never do great things for God. And what, I'm, what, what I mean by that is this. You've got a man named Abram. What qualified Abram to be called and used by God was his faith. Because he believed in God and had faith that there was a God it gave him the opportunity to be used. God only called on him because he already had faith in God. So faith gave him the opportunity to be used, but then God challenged him to do something. And if you look at the Hebrew words, there's a big difference in Hebrew words between faith and, uh, and trust. The word for faith is, is like a noun, it's something that's within you, it's a feeling, it's an understanding within your heart. But trust is a verb, it's an action, it's a decision, it's something that you do. And so it was Abram's faith that qualified him to be used by God. But now he's confronted with his trust, and he has a decision to make because God's calling him to do something radical. And I, I, I was remembering back to my days in Vermont. And if you know anything about Vermont, which most of you probably don't because you're not from there, and some people don't even know it's a state. But if you know anything about Vermont, Vermont has a lot of hippies. Okay? And I'm allowed, to, I'm allowed to make fun of Vermonters because I'm one. And a lot of people that love nature, that we had a lot of trees there, country, you know, it's very different from here. And, and, and I remember growing up in school, and we would have these very nature people that would come in, and, and they, would be, they would have dreadlocks down to their feet, they'd be dressed in like hemp clothes, they, they'd make their own clothes out of like hemp and stuff like that, some of you are giving me blank stares, so you've, you've never encountered these type of people. Just go to Vermont for a little bit and you'll find them. Um, And I remember they would always run these organizations that were all about trust and working together. And and they would always creep us out as kids, if I'm honest with you. And I remember uh, the schools would bring them in, and and I remember being like eighth grade or something. And they would bring these people in and they'd gather us all together for an assembly. And and they always came in and they talked in such a way that you would would think in their minds the world is made of like marshmallow fluff and rainbows and everything's beautiful. You know and they just talk in this voice like, hey kids hey kids, and they'd come in and hold these assemblies, and they'd go, come on kids, today we're going to teach you about trust, and and, and some of you may know what I'm talking about, they'd always inevitably do one activity, the trust fall, right, anybody ever do the trust fall, they'd bring you in and they'd go, okay, okay Jared, we want you to stand up on this table, it's about three feet off the floor, stand up on this table, I want you to turn around, and then they would select like six kids out of the group to come around, and they'd be like, okay, now we just want you to turn around, close your eyes, and just fall back and trust these kids will catch you. And I remember, I'm like, first of all, I was a little bigger as an 8th grader. So I was like, yo, I'm like 150 pounds. I'm looking back, there's like four little girls there. I'm like, there's no way they're catching me. And then the two guys are the ones that tried to steal your lunch money half an hour ago. They don't even like you. There's no way they're catching you. You know, and, and, and here's this, this, this creepy person in a in weird voice going, come on. Just trust them. I'm like, I'm not trusting these people, you know. So you try to figure out a way to fall without really falling. You're like, you know. But, but I remember that. And I was thinking about that today, those trust falls. And I thought, isn't that like the way we are with God? We're sitting on the table and we're looking behind us. And, and we, we look down and we see God. We know He's there. We go, God, okay, I see you. I acknowledge you. I feel you. I know you're there. That's faith. But then God goes, okay, Fall. I want you to trust me. I want you to fall. And we go, God, I can't fall. I trust you, I love you, I have faith in you, but I cannot fall. And and we kind of treat God like that because we confuse faith and trust. Faith is different. But we need to understand something about God. God expects us to do radical acts of trust when He calls us to do them. God expects that. I love the story in Matthew of the rich young ruler. When he approaches Christ, he says, okay, what do I got to do to be saved? And you probably know the story. Christ says, oh, obey the commandments. He says, I've done all that. He says, all right, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. A very radical step, right? Give everything you have, give up your life, come follow me. And the man turns away and he can't. And oftentimes, we end at that part of the story. I think the better part is the second half of the story, which is when Christ turns to his disciples and he says, and, and they're going like, what in the world's going on, Christ? You know, because here before Him is many men who have already given up their entire lives. Men standing before Him who have already taken huge extreme, extreme excuse me, radical acts of trust in God and going, we've given up everything for you, Christ. Now, what, what's, gonna, what's in this for us? What's going to happen to us? And Christ turns and He begins to explain a very important principle to the disciples and followers that He has on trust. And this is what He says. He says, anyone who's given up fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, fields, money, family, fill in the blank, anyone who has given up anything, who has sacrificed, who has taken radical steps for me will inherit a hundred times as much. And he says, the first will be last and the last will be first. He lays out the principle of this. I expect people to be willing to do radical things for me because they trust me. And when you do, I will greatly bless you, and I will pour out my love and support. You will gain a hundred times anything that you would ever give up. The expectation that we have to understand is this. Christ expects us to do radical things for Him. It starts with our conversion. You become a new creation. You give up your old self. There is no room for lukewarmness. There is no room for halfway. Christ expects us to be radical for Him. So we understand the expectation, we on the same page, everybody say, amen. 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 Beautiful. Now we're going to look, if you turn in your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 17. Now that we know the expectation, we're going to move on and say, okay, if we know what God expects, where are we at? And Abraham goes on, he's got the call of God, you can just hold that place for a second. Abram's got the call of God, God commands him what to do, he gives him this challenge, and Abram steps up without hesitation, he picks up his family, everything he has, and he begins to set off on this journey, not knowing where he's going, or what he's going to encounter, but he sets off, a great radical step, because he trusts God. And some time goes by, and Abraham begins to get older and older, and at this time, God has promised him, he says, I'm going to give you children, because there's two things that Abram did not have at this time. He didn't have children. And, and, and for a man at this time, the most important things to have was somebody to pass your legacy onto. It was children that would carry on your name, everything that you were. The second thing was having a land of your own. You didn't want to be a foreigner or an alien in someone else's land. You wanted to have a place to call home. And at this point, Abram didn't have either. He didn't have kids and he didn't have a land. But God had promised him both. He said, I'm going to give you children. It's going to be like the stars in the sky and I'm going to give you a land that is all your own. But Abraham is going on, and time's going by, and he's blessed by God, but he doesn't have the two things that he most desires. And he decides, and he begins to make a mistake that I think many of us make today, and it's one of the biggest issues as we look at where we're at as a a body of Christ. Abram and his wife fall into the very trap, and that's this. Instead of waiting on God, instead of trusting in God, they begin to do what's logical. They begin to do what's logical. And Abram and his wife begin to work it out and they say, you know what, maybe what God needs is our help in this matter. Maybe what God needs is our help. So they come up with a plan. And it was customary in that day, if your wife couldn't bear you children, she could give you one of her servants. You would sleep with that servant and then that child would would, would take on the family name and take on the, the legacy and the blessings of the family. That was custom. They weren't doing anything wrong. But they began to talk to each other and say, okay, let's figure this thing out. Let's work it out. So, th- so they planned this whole thing out, and, 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 uh, and his wife gave him the servant named Hagar. And, and, and sure enough, Abram slept with her. A son was born to them. And in their mind, they're going, alright, we're working this thing out. This makes sense. It's logical, right? We don't have kids. We're getting older. At this point, we're not going to be able to have kids on our own. We know God's promised us this, but maybe God needs our help in this area. Maybe this is what is good and right and logical. This makes sense in the situation. And I oftentimes think that that's where we're at as a church. I wonder sometimes if if the reason we don't see God doing more great things, if we don't see God moving more powerfully in the church of America, is because too often we do what's logical. Too often we do what makes sense. And I love having that missionary standing up here, sharing about what God has called her to do throughout her life, and going to all these places, the most dangerous places in the world. I had a conversation with someone yesterday, uh, a young adult. And they said, hey, are there any mission trips coming up? And I said, well, we're talking about maybe going to Mexico this summer. And and maybe doing like a youth trip or a family trip. And and they said, Mexico, you would take youth there? I said, yeah. And they said, isn't that dangerous? I said, well, yeah. Oh, I would never let my kids go to Mexico. And I sat and thought about that over the next, yesterday and today. And I thought to myself, isn't that so the reaction that we've become as a church? We are so afraid of anything that's dangerous, anything that's risky, anything that's radical, anything that takes a step of going, God, no matter what happens. And this morning as I heard the missionary share and say, hey, if I die, who cares, I'm going to heaven, I've got nothing to lose. I thought, "That that is a lost state of mind within the church today. Because the truth is, we become so logical and so fearful that we are not willing to ever do anything risky. And yet we say, well, God's, we say things like, well, God's a God of order. God wouldn't want me to do this. And I'm wondering if the reason why we're not seeing more amazing things happen is because we've lost the sense of, I mean, God's got us, want us to do something radical. I want to read in chapter 17, verse 1. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will conform my covenant between me and you, and greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. You see, God looks at Abram and He says, I know what you've done, I know that you've tried to work things out, I know you've done what makes sense and what's logical, but that was not my plan. He came to him and said, I'm still establishing my covenant with you, and by saying that, what He's saying is, you haven't accomplished my covenant. By you having this son, that's not what I wanted, I'm still in the process of doing what I want, and I've still promised to do it. And and, and he says, and furthermore, I'm going to make a a new covenant with you and I'm going to bless you and give you the two very things that you want. So don't try to work it out on your own. Don't try to do what makes sense. Trust in me. I know you're 99 years old. That's okay. Trust in me. I wonder how many of us in here, if we really looked at our lives, how many of us in here, God has been calling you to do something radical? God has been calling you just, just like Abram is saying, I want you to do something for me. I want you to trust in me. For some of us, I believe this morning, maybe God has been for a while calling you to do something physical. Maybe He's called you to get up and move and go into ministry. Maybe you're 45, 50, 60 years old, and for so long you know God has put a burden on your heart to go into ministry or to go into the mission field, and you've been afraid. And you've been hiding behind your family or your kids going, it just doesn't make sense for me to pick up and leave. That wouldn't be right by my children. That wouldn't be right by this. And you're doing, thinking the logical thing, and all the while God's going, would you just trust me? Would you just take a step? For some of you, maybe I remember hearing stories of people, people being convicted by their lifestyle and selling their house and moving into something much smaller and giving the money to God. And I wonder, imagine if we had people, maybe some of you in here, God is calling you to do some things like that. And, and in your mind, you're convincing yourself not to because you're going, well, my kids, it wouldn't be fair to my kids for them to have a live on less. It wouldn't be fair to my kids to give up those type of things. And all the while, God's going, you are not trusting me. I'm asking you to do something radical, but you have no trust in me, so you're not doing it. I think others, there's probably others in here who, who maybe it's more inward. And we've, we've got issues that we've carried around for years, hurts and pains and fears and anxieties and things that have been in our heart and we have not wanted to let go. We haven't wanted to release them. And the reason being because we really don't trust God to open ourselves up in that way. Maybe we've been burned, we've been taken advantage of. By people in life, and God's going, would you just let me in? Would you just trust me? And we're going, God, I can't give you that part of my life. I, I, I know you're there. I have faith in you, but I cannot give you that part of my life just because, ah, I just don't know. And all the while, God is going, please, would you trust me? Would you trust me? I promise that I'm going to do something great if you would only trust me. Church, I've got to believe that each and every one of us in here has been called to do something radical for God. The question is, are we willing to trust Him? Are we willing to trust Him? My hope and my prayer for you today, this morning, when we, do, when we do close, is that you can walk out of this room and say beyond a shadow of doubt, I know what God has called me to do. I know that radical step. And God, I trust you enough that I'm going to do it. So if we know the expectation, and if we know where we're at, how do we meet the expectation? Sometimes it's easy to preach a message and go, here's what you guys should do. All right, praise God. Good morning. See you later. Go do it, right? Sometimes it can be presented easier than it really is. You need to trust God, so go trust God. But sometimes it's not always that easy. We leave feeling like, well, I don't know how to trust God. You don't think I've been trying to trust God? Yes, I have. I don't know how to do it. So we want to look at this morning, if we know the expectation and we know where we're at, how do we meet the expectation of trust in the Lord? Turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Abraham gets that, Abraham at this time now gets that covenant with the Lord. And shortly after, God comes through with the promise that he made. And he has a son. And he, I, I got to imagine every time he looked at the son, as the son grew up and grew older, he looked at the son, he saw the very nature of who God was in his son. Who that son was, was the blessing of God, it was the promise of God, it was everything that God was. It was the the goodness of God, the truthfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God. And I'm sure every time Abraham as a father played with his son, he he almost worshipped God in a sense because in his arms was this miracle, this proving that God is who He says He is. But yet time goes by and and God has already fulfilled in somewhat the, the prophecy that He promised Abraham. But then once again God comes to him. And he challenges him again. And he says, I want you to trust me. This is what he says, chapter 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So God looks down and He says, I know I've given you the promise that I, that I promised you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice the very thing that I promised to give you in the first place. The Bible tells us that Abraham, without hesitation, packs up the next morning, and he heads off on a three-day journey up to this mountain. He, get up, he gets up there, and with him he has the supplies to build an altar. An altar that he's built many times before in his life, But all the times in the past has been to sacrifice some kind of an animal to the God that he loved and had faith in. But this time now, he builds this altar. And he takes his son, the son that's the very evidence of God's truthfulness and blessing and promise, and he ties him up, ties his hands and feet. He lays his son down on the altar and he grabs a knife. And he walks over to his son and he's getting ready to cut the throat of his own son. I got to imagine, being, being a dad soon, I, I hear the story, I got to imagine as he looks into his son's eyes, he's going, God, this doesn't make sense. This is not logical. Nothing about this seems right. God, this is the thing that you promised to give me, and yet here you are wanting me to sacrifice it back to you. This doesn't make sense. And I remember reading that and going, I don't know if I could do that. How does this guy, how is he able to do this? And here's the important lesson that we've got to learn. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 17. It says this, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reopened will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. I want to read that one more time. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. You see, in Hebrews, we get a glimpse and an understanding into the very nature. How was Abraham able to trust God? How are we able to trust God? How, when you leave this place, can you look at that thing that God wants you to do and go, God, I trust you. Here's how. You have to know God. The reason that we struggle with trusting God is because we don't have a clear understanding of who He is. We don't really know who He is. The more you know God, the easier it is to trust Him. The more you know Him, the the thing that seemed risky is all of a sudden not risky at all. The thing that seemed radical is all of a sudden not radical at all. And what Hebrews says is, Abraham looked at this thing and he knew God so well. That he knew that God wasn't just the God of the natural. He didn't just create the world, but he was the God of the supernatural. That even if he did kill his son, God could raise him from the dead. And it's this understanding, Abraham understood God in a way that nobody else did in that time, is that God is the God above everything. He's bigger than the circumstance, so even if I have to do this, even if I I do kill my son, God is bigger than that. He's so much bigger than that because He's the God of the supernatural. He can raise Him from the dead. It's this understanding that Abraham knew his God, and that made trusting Him so much easier. If you're struggling with trust in an area of your life, it's because your vision and understanding of who God is is not clear. And as you expand your vision, that thing that seems so hard, all of a sudden becomes a whole lot easier. That's why you can have a missionary stand up here and go, yeah, I'll go to Columbia, the most dangerous country in the world. That's why you can stand up, we can be sending out young women, you know, going to the mission field and going, "Ah, I'll do it, you know, I'll risk my life. Why? Because they understand something about God that some of us don't. Today, I don't know where you're at, I don't know what your struggle is. For some of you, if it is a physical thing, that you've got to actually go and do something. You've got to give something up, you've got to move, you've got to, you've got to give money, or, or, or change jobs, or, or pick up your family, or whatever it is. You need to understand something, if you're struggling with trust, you need to get a clearer picture of who your God is. Your God is bigger than that circumstance. For some of you, if it's an internal thing, and you're going, I can't trust God with with this part of my heart, this part of my life. You need to understand that God is so peaceful, He's so loving, He's so tender. He is your Father. He's not just one way or this way, He's every way, He's both things. He can be loving, and also be, be feared. He can be powerful, but also be calm. He can be the thing that you need Him to be at that moment. He is bigger than your small circumstance. And if you're struggling with trust today, all I can tell you is you've got to expand your vision of who God is. And as you do that, that thing that seems so hard all of a sudden gets a whole lot easier. I was thinking about about that trust fall. What I wanted to do in in, in closing out today is uh, just ask you, would you just close your eyes and picture something with me? Let's just close our eyes. And I want, to picture, I want you to picture yourself, maybe you've never done a trust fall, but if you haven't, picture yourself standing on a table, about three feet, off the gro- three feet off the ground. And you look back, and it's just you and God, that's it. And you look back, and you know God is saying to you, I want you to fall, I want you to fall, and I want you to trust me. But when you look back, all you see, instead of this great, mighty, powerful God in all of His splendor and all of His glory, what you see is a small child who looks like they couldn't catch you even if they had to. And you know it's God, you're acknowledging it's God, but your view of who He is is so distorted and so messed up. And you're looking back and God's going, would you please just trust me? Would you please just fall? I've got you, I'm going to catch you. You look back and that seems so impossible, that seems so crazy, that seems so illogical and so radical. But I want to challenge you, imagine that same situation but now it's transformed and you begin to see God and the trueness of who He is. And instead of that small child who looks like they could never catch you, it's this amazing, powerful being in all of His splendor and behind Him is legions of angels worshiping Him. Powerful surrounded by just the splendor of who God is, and, and you're almost blinded by the, the amazingness of who it is, the amazingness of, of who that God is, all-powerful, all everything that you would need Him to be, is right behind you, and it almost feels as if you're not even falling anymore. And then when God says, trust me, I want you to fall, it becomes so, so much easier. Church, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I want to ask you this morning, what is God calling you to do? I believe there's probably some people in here who are either in two areas of their life, and God wants to challenge you this morning. One is this. You know what God called you to do, and you've been wrestling, and you've been struggling with it, and you haven't been able to truly trust God. And this morning, God is saying to him, you need to get a clearer picture of who I am. And I'm going to invite those of you who are in that place to come up to the altar in a second. And the other ones are those in here who go, I have no idea what God's calling me to do. And you need to get on your face and go, God, what radical thing, what radical step of trust do you want me to do? What are you asking me to fall into today? And so in a second, I'm going to invite you to come up to this altar and just find a place between you and the Lord and begin to seek God. Because if we're not following Christ the way He wants us to, we're not following Him at all. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, before we do that, I just want to invite there's those of you in who have never accepted Christ as your your Lord and Savior. You've never walked in a relationship with God and you've heard this today and you're realizing, man, I'm in need of something in my life. I want to just open up and say, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Christ today. So if you're in this place and that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Just hold your hand up nice and high. Between you and the Lord, we're going to take just a few seconds. anyone in here? See, I I need God today. Praise God. Well, for everybody else, then here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to find a place at this altar. Do not leave this place without being able to answer that question. So whether you need to whether you need to get a clearer vision of God so that you can trust Him and what He's called you to do, or whether you need to just figure out what has He called me to do, on the count of three, I want you to just come find a place up here, and let's just begin to see God as a church and as a body of Christ. One, two, three. Let's just get out of our seats and let's let's be like Abraham and just go, God, whatever you want, it's all about you today. Nothing's off limits. Just come find a place. so the story ends like this abraham takes that knife out and he's ready and willing to sacrifice his son and just before the moment where he does it where he lays that thing down it says the angel of the lord called to abraham from heaven a second time and said i swear by myself declares the lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son i will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore Your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies. And though your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Thank you, Jesus. The lesson is this. God's called you to do some radical things. And if you're willing to do it, your blessings will be far greater than anything you thought you were giving up anything you thought you were sacrificing this morning I think I, I think this is where we should go with it I think each one of us should should stand to our feet and if you're here this morning and you say man I, I'm walking in that I'm walking in that thing that God has for me I'm doing it and I'm trusting it can we just get to our feet and let's sing this song with everything that we have With everything that we are, worshiping God, saying, God, you are faithful, God. There's nothing that we can face, nothing that we will go through that is bigger than you, Father. That our vision of you, our understanding of you be bigger than our circumstance so that nothing seems difficult or radical or crazy, God, but everything seems logical when we have you on our side, Father. Let's just worship him with everything we are. You are so faithful.